just really care about this and I really want to do well. So I pulled late nights for the first time in my life and, you know, all night. And it was so worth it, you know, because you've made lots of good friends. And So to summarize it, it's definitely challenging. But if you're willing to meet that with your own sense of drive and passion, then you're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to get a lot out of it. Richard is one of the hardest working people when he sets his mind to something. He's jumped around doing different jobs in between long stints at a few architectural firms in Central Texas. After a brief stint in Costa Rica working on a family farm, his eyes were open to a healthier way of living and he is thinking about leaving architecture for firefighting full-time because it offers physical exercise and being outdoors more than just sitting in an office from 9 to 5. Let's welcome Richard as episode number 10. Alright friends, 10 Colleagues, 10 Years is a podcast series where I interview 10 of my colleagues from architecture school 10 years after graduating. We all went to Texas A&M University and received a degree from the College of Architecture, but ended up in drastically different places. This podcast is a celebration of what a non-traditional architecture degree offers for the skills that it teaches. It's 10 individual stories of navigating a career path that's meant to be inspirational. And when I personally started my own architecture practice earlier this year, I attribute some of my success to this kind of degree program. So I hope that you get the same sort of inspiration from these stories, and thanks for listening. I'm Heather Pogue, and this is 10 Colleagues, 10 Years. Good. I just came back from New York. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I made the mistake of going for a run today, and yeah, it's hot here. So, <laughs> what, what's it like there? So it's been like 55, 65 here. Yeah. I wanted to interview you because I kind of wanted to see where you were and where you've been over the last 10 years because I really honestly don't know. I've kept track of a lot of people, but you're elusive. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I made it a little bit that way on purpose. Uh, Where do you want to start? Well, I start by telling a story about everybody from how I remember (laughs) you in school. Yeah. Some memories are specific with the certain person, like a very specific time and place. Yours is more throughout school. So I remember all of school, you just had such high energy. You're always running around, leaping off things, doing backflips. Your energy level translated also into architecture and design and things that you found interesting. You're always really passionate about and got other people excited and corralled people around a vision you had, you know, because we were partners in Barcelona and you got me really excited about small living in the city and it being like a microcosm. And we used to have great conversations then. And I think that translates to other people. You you talk with a lot of energy. That's really cool. It's really flattering. Yeah. <laughs> I still tell people about that project. That was crazy. I, I also like to tell people how we would stay up so late and Carlos would be like, Richie, can I go to bed? I'd be like, no. And you'd be like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> like, just peace out. And yeah. then I remember Carlos actually threw up on presentation day. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Yeah. Because we had to go to that little cappuccino machine or that little espresso machine downstairs. They actually had a little espresso machine. 
and we just drank a whole bunch of those, and then got sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it was a great project, though. Yeah. I mean, that was just a fun semester. It's never, you know, because real life just isn't what we got to do there. You know, we were partying five yeah. days a week and studying two days a week. But that also lended to being relaxed about your ideas, relaxed about your ability to think about new ideas. So it's really nice that we got to have that time because it kind of took the stress off of being really productive. I feel like sometimes by being on a tight schedule, you can get really great work done. But on the converse, it's nice to have that space. And not everybody gets that time in their life. Time and space to really go through discovery and investigation and, and a lot of projects that's taken out with either in the real world that could be like the budget and the timeline. And in school, it's that you're cranking stuff out and producing and it's a really fast pace, but that was like a slowed down. It was still high intense and high energy, but because we were also excited to be there and do good work, yeah. but it gives you time and space to like develop your idea. Yeah. And we were also kind of confronted with such a new environment. You weren't allowed to be comfortable in the way that you are here. And I think that's important to be able to have those experiences where you're pushed into something that you've just never been around before. That's the best way to learn is just be immersed in that. You know, I've tried to do other things since then without having the big group that we had. It's never the same. That makes the biggest difference. That's also what made that trip so cool. The fact that we were 20 people and we did everything together. And so I cherish it for that too. Then you kind of hang out with the people that you work with a lot, which was similar to hanging with the people who you were in studio with all the time. Mm -hmm. But there's barriers today like family and the real world. I don't feel like you get as close as you did in college. So one of the first questions I wanted to ask, too, is what was your fairy word? Fairy word. What I mean by this is fairy's actually a person. He's John Fairy, and he was the studio professor you had directly before or after Rodney Hill, typically. Oh, I didn't have fairy. You didn't? Uh, oh, okay. I assumed all of the people I picked had fairy, but you and one other person, I can't remember right now who, didn't have fairy. So if you had fairy... Did you ever think about what your word would have been, I guess? Because you knew about Fairy and his assignment. Uh, I asked Alexa one time. Alexa Tang. She was another architecture school friend and also a part of the Barcelona Study Abroad crew. She now lives and works in Chicago, although not doing architecture. And Alexa gave me a word. I can't remember what it was. I, if it pops up, I'll... I'll tell you. Okay. Well, we can yeah. skip that. And I was trying to describe architecture school for everybody because I think it's a really unique degree. And so if you had a chance to briefly summarize it, how would you explain it to somebody? Like if I was telling somebody thinking about going into it or just our experience yeah. in general? Or, That's nebulous, I know. Uh, it's like such a cop-out response is what a lot of people say about anything that you do is that I went into architecture school after having fucked up a lot in high school. Like I skipped a lot of school. I skipped like most of algebra two and I had to do a lot of chores over the summer in the office to pass. That's oh. how I got to get to senior year. Okay. And I thought I wasn't even going to get to college and I ended up getting into A&M, getting a chance at architecture school 
just wanted so badly to do well. So it didn't really matter if it was architecture. So for me, it was what I put into it was more than 100%. So I got a whole lot out of it, you know, stuff that I'm still using today. And I don't even really like architecture as a profession, to be honest with you. Okay, Uh, we can go into that later. But for architecture school, it's really difficult. And if you're not willing to match that head to head, then you're going to have a really hard time. It's just like engineering school. It's just like law school or medical school. I assume it's going to be difficult. Studio is going to demand a lot, but you can produce a, a shit project or you can produce something with quality. You have to be willing to stay up all night sometime if you don't have good time management. Sometimes like I really didn't. And I was trying to do gymnastics the first couple of years at AM. That was like practice five nights a week. And so you'd go into studio after that. And that kind of actually landed to it because you had to have more discipline and it's very discipline oriented. That's why I think that it's a great thing to study at A&M actually, <laughs> discipline and tradition and the ability and work ethic. I think that's a lot of what Aggies are about, at least what I think of, not lie, cheat, or steal. I think it's more like a, a really hardworking group of people where a lot of them are really passionate about what they do. That's what I saw, a lot talent all around me and I didn't start out in the really good studio. I saw some projects across the room from Hill's studio and it was really intimidating. I remember the houses and I was like, I just really care about this and I really want to do well. So I pulled late nights for the first time in my life and, you know, all night. And it was so worth it, you know, because you've made lots of good friends. And so to summarize it, it's definitely challenging but if you're willing to meet that with your own sense of drive and passion, then you're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to get a lot out of it. Because what you're going to find at that age, people are attracted to other people who are willing to be driven. Mm-hmm. Unlike in high school where it was kind of fun to be a slacker, hang out with those people. But in college, it's really not. Because one semester, if you mess around, your GPA suffers and you could be working for the rest of your your college years to correct that. So I made sure that I started out correctly. I kind of like did really well for about three and a half years and then just like. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, when you talk about you having a chance to give your all, I think that was really prevalent to me. It seemed like you were there to get stuff done and you were going to give it 110%. Like you said, I think that was pretty obvious to everybody that knew you. You talk about the all-nighter. Do you think if you could put a number to it, you would know how many? No. No, no, no. (laughs) It was too ridiculous. There was, like, this bag of shredded paper under the desk and, like, the Spider-Man blanket. But I really think it was, like, the people we were working around. I saw a lot of talent, but also a lot of drive and hard work. I could name a bunch of people, but it's just, like, the first few people you meet, and then you just see how bad they want it and you realize that's kind of what I want let's do it you know let's like work really hard and see this and I miss having that today I think that contributed a lot to what your passion and your motivation it's just seeing other people feel the same way you echo what I believe so strongly is that I couldn't trade it anything in the world for the kind of friendships we developed in school that I wasn't even anticipating and like you said it just elevated everything we were doing because we were around great people and wanted to do well and looked up to each other. And that's hard to find in life. 
in real life. And also that sets the bar when you're 18 to 22 and you see that you already know what that looks like at such a young age to find that again is, is a rare thing. Yeah, it is. So it's kind of bittersweet in that sense. The cool thing is we still all follow each other and I love seeing what everybody's doing. I mean, it's something that over the years I've kind of fallen out of love with it. So well, I guess I'm not as like motivated about it anymore. Well, so let's go into, can we go into that? You said for three and a half years you were going 110% and then did something happen specifically or did it happen later or can you talk about that? Uh, I don't know. I think kind of as you get older you realize, I mean this is kind of central to it, is that it's like your motivation why you do things. It's funny, really funny that you're doing this interview because I remember something that you said when we were in college, it was like sophomore year, I think it was like in our studio where we did the Tobago houses. Julie Rogers. Rogers. She was awesome. You said, I wonder who's going to make it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that? You said, I'm really curious, like, yeah. who's going to drop out? Who's going to become an architect? Who's going to go all the way with this? And for some reason, that just stuck with me because every time... I'm like, man, I hate this. I'm like, man, Heather's going to find out that <laughs> this freaking podcast about like finding out. <laughs> well, I think I said that because I, I, we were talking about how hard architecture school is and I, and then yeah. you just know it translates into the profession and you see people just grueling away. And I saw that and I was wondering how far people would go. Well, it segues into what my explanation is, which would be that you figure out what your motivation is for why you're doing it. Even if you don't know when you're starting. And I kind of figured out that I was really just doing it because my mom's an architect and I just kind of wanted to fit a certain model of what I thought that they wanted me to do. You end up paying the price for that 10 years later, 13 years later. So I would say to people, <laughs> make sure you know why you want to do something because I've always enjoyed sketching. I've always enjoyed crafting, modeling, making things. So I was just ushered into this direction, I went for it. I really felt like I had something to prove to my family, to everybody that I felt like I had been letting down. And as I've grown up, you kind of realize all that stuff's kind of bullshit. And you realize, why was I trying to add up to all this? So you try to refigure out what you would have wanted to do had you not panicked. And I think that's what it was. I just sort of panicked. Panicked in that, like, after three years, you invested this time in something, and then you were kind of stuck wondering, where yeah, do I, I go from here? the beginning of it, it didn't really, like, sink in, and that, that was what was happening until probably seven or eight years in. Three or four years ago, I kind of realized all this, but now I feel very caught up in it. And I'm 31. I don't know what I'm going to start over now mm-hmm. and do. And that's kind of one of the reasons I haven't really been in touch with very many people is because it's embarrassing realizing that so far along into something that you really kind of hate (laughs) then like being honest with yourself about that and then trying to move forward. I don't think it's a failure at all. It's just part of your journey. It's your path that you're realizing these things. People change careers all the time. That's why I wanted to do this podcast actually is I found a lot of inspiration and motivation in really dark times listening to things like this where other people were struggling and um, came out the other side. And I think talking about it openly helps you realize everybody's dealing with the same things. 
So this is my give back to others in this position that you're talking about being in is it's not about the end. It's not about becoming the architect, right? And that's why a lot of us aren't architects. It's about what are we doing? How are we navigating this thing called life? And we're all right. in it together. I've kind of realized like I've spent kind of 10 years since we've graduated almost. I didn't go to grad school and I realized last year if I didn't do it, then I probably really don't want this. Because I kept putting it off and kept putting it off. I kept making excuses like financial reasons. But really it was because I was happy to get out of school. I was happy to start making money and I was happy to have that freedom. And once you have a taste of that, you just start talking about it like prison. Like you're not getting me back. (laughs) I'm not going back. I understand (laughs) that. Well, and another part about doing the podcast is also how this degree prepares you for a lot of different things. It teaches you to critically think and be creative. That is invaluable in what you choose to end up doing. There's something that is telling me that, you know, I really want to do something different. Have you thought about what that looks like? I've tried several things. One thing I've tried a couple times is firefighting, actually. And I like to keep trying at that because that's, really a lot of fun to train for and study for. I was working full-time at a studio in Austin, and then I got into a fire academy there in Travis County. It required that you be there three times a week, three, four hour, twice a week in the evenings, and then Saturday mornings. And that's a pretty full-time commitment on top of the full-time job. I was doing it for about four or five weeks, and then my bosses pulled me aside and said, look, you just can't do both. We just can't have you do both. We need you all the hours, extra hours, whenever we need you. And that's fair enough. I signed up for salary, and I signed up for that kind of arrangement where if you need me, I'm there. I just sort of prioritize. I regret that because I was having a lot of fun, and I was younger. So, <laughs> <laughs> And this is an architecture studio in Austin that you're talking about. Yeah, I worked there for a while, and it was great firm. It's just it's demanding. You know, architecture is demanding profession. Mm-hmm. So you try to add something on top of that. You're kind of asking for it. Yeah. So, you know, I, hang, I hung in there as long as I could, and I was about 25 at that time. More recently, I did it here in San Antonio a couple of years ago. I tried out for the San Antonio Fire Academy, which to that, there's thousands of applicants whenever they open up. You know, I applied there and got invited to take the test, did the study seminars, placed pretty horribly on the test, actually. Like, okay. <laughs> I walked in there thinking like, got this. Like structures exam, got this. Easy. What we refer to as structures is a class in structural engineering. It was split into two semesters, a part one and a part two. That's where most of the math and architecture occurred. We had these crazy hard exams calculating beam deflections and column compressions, but the projects were the more memorable part and also the more fun part. Think making egg baskets for dropping an egg from five stories to see if it would break Things like engineering a model bridge out of wood to test the loading up of weight to see whose bridge would last the longest with the most weight on it before breaking in half. I walked in there thinking like, got this. Like structures exam, got this. Easy. And nope, I didn't do as well. I was still invited to do the physical training, so I got down to the next round. I wasn't like in the top percentile or anything. The physical training was the most fun because you were running the towers, dragging the hoses, doing the farmer carry running mercilessly, doing chin-ups, all that. I love that strenuous discipline. I love that feeling like you're going to put all that energy into a cause that good. That feels really good to me. That feels like a great purpose. I was doing that. 
but I made a big mistake of they had a policy about the amount of time since when you could last smoke marijuana. Oh, and, <laughs> and you had, you were honest. Yeah, I was honest, and that was within the no-no range. So I got a phone call after like weeks and weeks of training, and he was like, "I'm sorry, but you have disqualified yourself." <laughs> I was like, "No." <laughs> I was like, I wish I had lied, and he said, uh, no, we would have caught you on the lie detector test, but since you're honest, you're invited to try again. That's why I'm trying to stay on top of my running and trying to do my best to stay away from that stuff. Okay. Then you're waiting on another call for... No, they sort of open it up. You watch online. The same thing with all fire departments, so, you know, I'm going to try again until I'm too old. Okay. That's my plan, and then I'm not just going to limit my options to that I'm going to look at other things too but I think the point of this phone call is to be honest choosing to be anyways yeah you were always really honest you know this call has been hard for some people because people want to be fairly political about what they think they would be doing in the next 10 years because on the opposite end if you're at a firm that you want to stay at you're not going to go hmm I'm thinking about starting my own firm or I'm going to go be a firefighter because somebody at that firm could be listening and you just can't, you know, there's some, there's some element of that. Um, I think that's kind of part of what ruined it for me is the office politics. I made a lot of friends and interacted very, very well in college and, and in the professional world. I don't know, got a little cutthroat, and I didn't really like it. You just kind of, you figure that out sometimes the hard way. Right now I work with my mom about three and a half, almost four years. The freedom of that is you don't get glory of the projects that get published all the time, but you don't have to play office politics. I get to yeah. sit in my yard, drink a beer, and talk to you. Yeah. Go for a run at noon. Uh, but I was at work at 4.30 this morning, and I worked till 12.30, and I ran at 12.30. It's just sort of like, that's the freedom. You know, sometimes it's the freedom to go crazy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that too. Well, and I want to talk about that. So you've been working at architecture offices since we graduated. So can you like briefly talk about your time, what you ended up doing and maybe what you liked or didn't like, or maybe people that helped you out during that time? Because I think you started at Lake Flato, right? Originally? Gosh. Well, I worked for uh, the Architects Studio in Bryan, Texas in college. So that was awesome. They were kind of cool because they were all historic restoration downtown Bryan. You kind of got to walk around some of those old buildings. That was very, very short sort of stint. Yeah, I did Lake Flato for a year, but that was after waiting tables at various restaurants. That was like right after the economy dropped. I graduated December 2008. The economy was doing terribly, so I started waiting tables at an Italian restaurant in Column Station. I got to work for a contractor called Zap Black Reed in Austin for a while. Bill Zap Black was really nice, gave me a job, worked there for a summer, got to see the other side. What they think architects. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's a good yeah. experience. We're really good friends with them. We like them a lot. We love Zap Black. We still do. We work with them all the time. I got to embarrass myself on the basketball court. I played basketball with them. and Yeah, and then uh, I was waiting tables and working in like a retail shop. I actually walked, worked at Anthropology for a while, for like a winter season. I vaguely and, remember uh, I was, that. I was the only guy who applied at like the mass application. It was desperate times. Like I was doing a couple restaurants and two retail places. So it was like working three jobs. And I applied to Lake Plato a long time ago. Finally got a job, an internship. Getting a job at Lake Plato was a huge deal because we all looked up to him in the studio. 
me and Matt Dyer, we would look over their book and just dream, just like drool over it. We used to always talk about their projects, so it was kind of like getting to work for your heroes a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it really was like that. I have a signed copy of their book from 2007, signed by David Lake, saying like, welcome to our profession. You know, it really meant a lot to get to do that. But you felt like you were kind of around celebrities all the time. I felt so little, you know, walking in there. <laughs> but everybody in there is so talented. And it's intimidating, but it's really comfortable at the same time. Also, this is really cool. So, I mean, yeah, they had like bike racks in the office and they always say like, oh yeah, we're, we're booked, we can't do anymore. And then they're always like producing like crazy amount more work. I still follow them. Still can't help but be in love with some of the stuff they do. I'll probably never really outgrow it. I just kind of love what they do. I kind of always will. Their work is so Texas vernacular too. It's like timeless Texas vernacular and they captured it so well and they still do and... I'll always appreciate their work, I think, too. Is Tom Kumdig in Seattle? He is, yeah. Do you like him? I do, yeah. I remember you actually probably introduced me to them back in school, and I just fell in love with their work. And Yeah. I think I mean, you had a book you used to keep at your desk with Olsen Kumdig work. And it was back when they were, was it OSK? Yes. We used to flip through that book. The project, the classic one is The Garage the river, Door with the, the Gears. It is awesome. Ah, uh, that, that mechanism with the damn wheel. Yeah, they have their own um, machinist or metal worker that comes up with all the gears and custom fabricates all the pieces. That would be so cool to be around, just to like absorb that. Yeah, after after that, I actually left the country for about six months. I went to Costa Rica, lived in Costa Rica for a while. That was kind of the point where I was thinking, like, I don't know if I really want to do this i want to try other things you know i went there to just i found that on craigslist just kind of went down there to, to teach english and work on a farm coffee cattle fruits vegetables all, all sorts of stuff like that you like lived in the house it was like a village of like 300 people i also got to really get like a much better grasp on spanish because you were already really good at it from was, barcelona uh, <laughs> i definitely like got a better much better grasp uh, down there because I just didn't have a choice. And was that to kind of clear your head a little bit and just get out of it and not yeah, doing I, architecture and see what, just reflect on things and think about what you wanted to do? Yeah, I had kind of gotten into a lot of good books at Lake Plato and I uh, just kind of got this desire to really get out. Memories of going to Spain were kind of haunting me and growing up I need to get out again and kind of like an itch, and I'm not tied down, good to go. I had about 1200 bucks, and I bought a $400 plane ticket, and I made that $1,200 the last six months, because when you've worked on the farm and taught in the school, the trade-off was you got a bed and food, kind of like free living. It was about anywhere between 6,000 and 9,000 feet elevation, so it was a very small little town. About an hour and a half southwest of San Jose. On a clear day, if you're in the mountains, you could look through the mountains, you could see the the sea. Very, very clear. You had no choice, kind of the loss of a lot of comforts, like very limited internet, but most people didn't have hot showers and it was definitely not AC and no windows. It was more like living outside I, with a roof yeah, over your head. I lived in a tree house for like three weeks, about a month, and you know, you'd get all sorts of bugs and 
jungle animals would come up in the night and one would like land on your roof. You hear howler monkeys every morning. They go, ooh, 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 ooh. You know, like, do like their, their like calls. Yes. I mean, it was really eye opening. I really loved America when I came home. I really loved a cheeseburger. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry for ranting. Kind of a long answer. For, yeah. It's been 10 years condensed. I, right after I got back from Costa Rica, I immediately started applying and I worked for a firm called Studio 8 in Austin. And I worked there for about two and a half years. All commercial firm, they're very busy. You know, make the work of so-and-so, many people look double. You know, that's kind of their their thing. And they're really good with uh, their network around Austin. They've been around 15 years now. But they come from older Austin stock uh, firm. Milton actually knew my mom, like, way back in the day. So Milton knew me from, like, five years old. I used to run around his office and mess with stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like Richard. Uh, actually, exactly like Richard. <laughs> All grown up, he, like, gave me a job. I learned probably the most there. I learned a lot of Revit and really cool prefab and just really cool experience. But the most I learned at Studio 8 was probably the most that I use in my profession today. Like all the tools, everything that I do today, I, I learned there. And so I'm very thankful for that experience. 60 hour weeks where they hold those kind of weeks. They like to they like to live there. They have uh, in many inside jokes about their work ethic there. It's its own environment. That's what I like about every firm. And that's what you find about the ones that you stay at are the ones that, you know, certain personalities, that's what draws you in. It's personalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the people who you work for, and it's that's what you gravitate to. I didn't really see that for, like, a few years. Like, mm-hmm. I just thought it was all about the work yeah. and all about, like, what we're producing and what you can do and what you can add. That sounds really narcissistic because, like, it kind of is, but that's kind of how you are right out of architecture school, you know, and you're all, like, teeth and claws, and you're all out to do stuff, you know, and so, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you just have to prove yourself, and that's kind of how I went into Studio A, too. It was kind of met with mixed reception. I can't complain. It was a good group of people. They've also kind of doubled since. They have a San Antonio office now, too. I've worked on a lot of projects there that I was really proud of and that I've probably, what I would call, some of my favorite work that I've done so far was there. Cool. Yeah. They're just so fast-paced. You know, they just love that fast pace. Uh, You made me think of one of my questions, which was uh, mentorship. Have you, along the way had people that have been influential on your life to get you where you are and that you still carry with you? Yeah, definitely. A guy at Lake Plato who I worked directly for, his name was Bill Ayler. Now he'd love me mentioning his name. (laughs) (laughs) Bill's from West Texas, so he has a very special sense of humor. (laughs) And uh, it's very dry. If you don't really get it for about 30 seconds until it hits you and then you realize you were the butt of the joke, he was really good about mentally putting me in my place whenever I get it too far one way or the other. He knew just what to say all the time. And he kind of introduced me to a few books that, you know, really influenced me. And he uh, actually himself lived in Mexico for 10 years, just like painting and driving around. You know, he's kind of way back friends with Bill and Ted, Lake Plato. And so they kind of go way back and, you know, he works there now and has his wife there and kids and, but there was a time when he was kind of wild. <laughs> I don't know what wild the word, but he was kind of this wandering artist. Yeah. And that, that was just something really, you know, there's always something romantic about that. But yeah. so at that age, when you're 24, you, 
thinking like that's that's what I should be doing right now. He was kind of my inspiration to go to Costa Rica in the first place. And like, wow, I, need, I I don't need to be doing all this right now. I need to go somewhere else. That led to other mentors along the way. In Costa Rica, there was a guy I lived with. He was kind of the head of the family, owner of the farm, Orlando. He was in his 60s, and the dude had a six-pack. He, like, worked his farm, and they wore machetes and rain boots every day. That was kind of like the work attire. You know, they would slice big things of bananas and carry it up the hill and cut trees down in the forest and take those logs and build coffee terraces out of them. And we did all that work. You know, we did, we, we built little coffee farms. We picked fully uh, grown coffee. He taught me how to do all this and how to plant these uh, fruits and vegetables. Orlando kind of let me stay on his farm and his wife, Noide, and uh, she was one of my students, one of my English students, actually. She would always be barefoot. And she walked everywhere barefoot. And they and she knew, but she knew how to grow all sorts of fruits, vegetables, and herbs from seeds. It was incredible that she knew the knowledge she had. Like, she would teach it with you, and she wanted to learn everything about you. They would build houses on their property so people would come and stay with them. So they could learn about other people. Really the coolest people. And so I did all-day farm work, and it was a blast. We did everything on the farm. We fed the cows, picked coffee, we built little terraces and it was hard work the hard life have to work for everything when you came back you said you appreciated america like what led to it yeah i was also really healthy too like good night's sleep clean living have you ever read 100 years of solitude i tried it was really difficult for me it's fantastical realism i started reading it and i just couldn't get engaged for whatever reason and i like that kind of fantasy but You know, there's things that are the wrong place, wrong time in your life, and you go back and revisit, and all of a sudden it clicks. Yeah, I think I think that might happen with that book, but it didn't click when I tried to read it. It was about two years ago. Yeah, sometimes you have to chew on the book for a long time before you really want to dig into it, too. Yeah. Like, pages in, hold you up, something holds you back. I didn't finish the book either, I mean, but I do know the setup is similar in terms of the town. It sounds like yes, a really uh, refreshing time in life to just hit the pause button. I mean, I wake up and chop firewood every morning. That was like my first task every yeah. day is to wake up and chop firewood because they make all their breakfast by the fire. They heat coffee by the fire, they pancakes, roast coffee beans, all that stuff. Yeah, and there's something uh, really nice about living outside, too. Like you talked about the shelter you're in. The more connection we have with outside, I think the better we feel. I agree by that. I mean, especially the air quality. Yeah. <laughs> one thing. You live in a city and you know the difference between good and bad air quality and then you, you get a taste of that you're like, oh man, you're not about it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's a different, completely different lens to look through the yeah. way of living your life. Yeah. Um, uh, I've asked everybody what they liked about architecture or didn't like. Was there more to it than that what you described earlier? A lot of times, I know this is going to sound weird, but <laughs> I I really don't feel like I fit in with a lot of people. I really feel like in, especially kind of big groups, I just kind of felt like I didn't fit in in a lot of places. Uh, I liked a lot of places. I liked a lot of people. I just wasn't feeling myself clicking anywhere. And I couldn't see myself in 10 years at this place, five years at this place. Sometimes it really freaks you out when you experience that. 
I mean, there are some people that I really jive well with. And I mean, it's just a few mentors, and I've, I've left a few out. I have more mentors than that, you know. And often I have several at one firm. But I guess I got worked up about not fitting in and wrapped up in the politics of being the young person at the office and pressure of trying to prove yourself and then not really knowing if this is what you wanted to do. Couple of that was kind of a really hectic schedule and a lot of expectation, and you just sometimes you break. I think that happened a little bit. I actually, after my job at Studio Eight, I went back to waiting tables, and, and uh, I just like needed a break again. And then uh, I started up at another firm in Austin and uh, last about five, six months there. And then it just again I didn't feel it. What it really came down to, I wasn't having fun. It, it sounds like cheesy. I really started paying attention to a lot of things going on in the news and I just kind of felt like man why am I sitting right here like what is this what I'm doing like why I'm drinking my coffee at my desk I really don't feel the first-hand experience of contributing positively to the world around me and people around me in a way that feels impactful in a way that doesn't feel sort of selfish or just self-serving you know what I mean yeah no absolutely I'm thinking two things like one I just read an article in Harper's Magazine about people needing worth in their professions and that we're losing that and you lose motivation and interest because you're expected to be somewhere for eight hours a day and you don't necessarily your job isn't confined to eight hours a day so it may be more it may be less but when it's less you're filling time with useless tasks typically just because it's now seen as the hours of output when historically it was about the production output like what you were actually producing was more important than how many hours you were somewhere and we've kind of flipped that. Now it's about sitting in a chair for eight hours a day and people feeling worthless. And then two, like being 10 years away from school and having a level of experience, I think you're not new anymore to it. And we're starting to understand the system, what we can do and what we can't do and what we want to do and what we don't want to do. And I think everybody's kind of underlying theme has been find more meaning. I've been there, done this. Now, what does it mean? That's one of the trademark things I would be proud of our generation about. I think that's very a common thing amongst us millennials is that we are passion driven and we seek that out over results, production, uh, former ideas of success that maybe uh, our parents were inclined to strive for. And we still are. It's not that that's a bad thing. Success in those terms, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it opens a lot more doors when you have the ability to pay, to rent. At the same time, it's like we wanted to integrate another chemical in that mix. We were creating something different, which was an element of passion in that, so that we didn't become this drone-like character that we saw in these sitcoms and in these cartoons of like people hating their jobs and their lives. And When your personality is having to come out in a bumper sticker or a tie, are you really expressing it? Like you said, it sounds like pieces of flair. The compartmentalization of the self into these little spaces and the, elapse, the amount of time elapsed equals the amount of money you get and what you produce, it, uh, it creates almost a, and I'm not going to say this in the terms of like it's harder, but it, it creates, it creates a, like a blue collar nature, so white collar work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by that? Like it creates a, a, a monotonization of factory sense to our type of work because everybody's got a college degree now. Yeah. Now we all have high school degrees equivalent. The more flexible that you have to be, the less designed you can be. 
Yeah. And that's what I find it translates into design and like your personality. Like the more you have to be, a building has to be flexible, the less definition you can put into it. Really, you have to be, it has to be open. Same thing with people. We sit in cubicles, it's part of our culture. And to me, it's become the new factory. It's the office, the factory line. We have been stuck in the thinking that the office is the golden shrine because you get off your feet. And if you've ever worked on your feet, then yes, the office is the golden shrine. It really is. Yeah. But once you get there, sometimes, like I said, it's the freedom. You have the more freedom, but you have the freedom to go crazy. So we need challenge. That's human. We need physical challenge. That like something that's appealing about firefighting. You're out there and you're physically exuding yourself as well as probably mentally and yeah i mean it's a release you know you need i feel like we are still kind of wired the way we've been for a very very long time we used to have to chase our food we used to have to fight things off do a lot more than sit in a in front of a computer all day and sometimes your frustration builds up in front of those screens and you feel it and it's still wired into it i think that's another big breakdown in our communication as a society because whenever we're more physical we actually get that feel better uh, hormone pumping and actually you feel like being more social. Just part of being a lethargic culture contributes to not wanting to be engaged with others because you feel gross. Yeah, and I think it also it, you feel agitated and frustrated by more things. Like the smallest things I think get to you. And I know that being active keeps me even keeled and to take things in like yeah. moderation and have more tolerance. It makes me think more about how I would respond to something. Like, it slows down a quick reaction that I would have had. I'm a little bit more thoughtful about it. What do you do to temper that? I realize I have been a runner 20 years now, this year. So cross-country, right? Yeah, I started when I was 12, and I've never stopped. So I run at least two times a week usually three and I've actually gotten into mountain biking now that I'm in the northwest I love it the northwest is beautiful amazing up there again pristine air amazing water you know when the snow melts and the water flows you know I love oak trees in Texas but the trees are so tall there uh I'm glad you thought of me that's that's really cool you know sometimes you wonder if people remember your stuff but it's kind of cool what you called me and it was like really unexpected I think about everybody who went to school with a lot just because you guys all had a really big impact on my life. It's people that I can call up at any time. I I don't know. That's something that even though we don't talk a lot, we all have this bond that's like pretty outstanding. Yeah, Yeah. I would agree with that. All right. Well. All right. Cool. Thanks so much for spending all this time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. You have a good night. All right. You too. Bye, Richard. All right. Bye. Richard would be an amazing firefighter because he has the energy and drive for a physically demanding job with such a great purpose to serve others. He brought up some critical challenges to working in the office environment today that I think a lot of the millennial generation struggles with daily and wants to see positive change in those areas. Stick around for next week's episode where I interview someone who came out of the visualization department. It's another offshoot at the College of Architecture that focuses on animation design. See you next time on 10 Colleagues, 10 Years.